You are listening to the Magnetic Marketing Marketing Secret Gold Members Only Podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody. We ended with uh, talking about, you know, sales letters, should they be pretty or ugly, and uh, then a great story of how you uh, used your sales letter to convert the non-buyers. But uh, why don't we talk a little bit now about once we have our message crafted, our sales letters built, um, how in the world should we deliver them? Through the post office, FedEx, should they be flat? Should they be ugly? Should they be dimensional? So there's three questions, right? One has to do with your maximum allowable cost, which has to do with what is it worth to get a response. So in some businesses, it's worth $5,000 to get a response. In another business, it's 500. In another business, it's only 50. Um, the more you spend, the better. So that's a whole math economics. But you need to know what the value of a response is to determine what you can spend on getting it. And then you figure out how you want to spend that money. You don't do it like the government, where it's a $2 trillion uh, uh, budget, and we'll figure out what we're going to spend it on later. No. <laughs> you figure out now what you, how much you got to work with, and now what can we do? Can we use FedEx? Can we, can we only use the post office? Can we use a messenger service? Can we send it with a, you know, a, a guy in an ape costume? What, what can we do, right? So value of response and the power of the gatekeeper between you and your buyer. Because that varies a lot, right? It varies more in B2B than to consumer. So B2B, it's a big issue. And how empowered is the gatekeeper, right? Because you've got to overwhelm the gatekeeper to get to the person you want to get to. So if you're going into a big company, you have at least two. You have the mail room where everything arrives to be sorted, and then you have that person's personal assistant who typically has a lot of authority. Her job is really get rid of as much of everything as you can because I'm really busy. So she has a lot of authority. And so she, now if you drop down to, say, uh, owners of independent pharmacies, yeah, the inbounds probably come to the front counter and somebody sorts them before they get to the pharmacist, the owner, in half the cases. In half the cases, the owner runs up because he'd rather look at the inbounds than do anything else that day. <laughs> so you have, you have a lightweight gatekeeper, in other words. The gatekeeper doesn't have a lot of authority She'll be timid about throwing things out that she's not sure should be thrown out. So we don't have to do as much with that gatekeeper as we do with a corporate gatekeeper, right? In the consumer environment, um, the, the gatekeeper problem is very low, but it, is, it tends to be spousal, who gets the mail first, and you have to assume the wrong one is getting the mail <laughs> because it's the only way you can play this game because you can't determine it in advance, yeah. right? So now you do have to do something 
to overwhelm that wrong person, to intimidate them so they don't throw it out. Now, they may have 67 questions about it. That's his or her problem. Uh, but we, don't, we can't have them throwing it out. So that's the second question, right? The third question is about competition for attention. So not necessarily just your direct competitor. You're, you're in the dry cleaning business. I'm not talking about just the other dry cleaners. I'm talking about who's going to enter their environment today by any inbound means that occurs, and how do we stand out, stand above, and stand apart from them? Now, in some cases, that's a real low bar, right? The only thing anybody's sending is a trifold folded up flyer, <laughs> and really, mostly what they're doing is they're sending emails. So for us to stand above, stand apart from them, doesn't take a great deal if we're in a much more sophisticated, competitive environment, uh, um, then that bar's higher. Some businesses have a, a, a season, a timing-related surge of communication. The universities do, for example. So everybody starts junior year. They all get the same list. Okay, and they descend. If any of you, if you've got a kid who recently went to college or is of that age now, um, yeah, well, the, my daughter right now, we're bombarded. Yeah, the, with ga the bad, game literally begins on a certain messaging. day. <laughs> yeah, uh, over fifty percent of all of it is done by one agency. There's three big agencies in the business, so they're even sending emails and driving to websites and sending mail for five competing universities, all to the same list, right? So now, to stand above and apart from that, that hurdle's pretty high. So you have to figure out how different you have to be, right? Then, um, um, your, your ability to do it well comes from selection, okay? So your ability to spend comes from selection, uh, discrimination, um, self-qualification. So somehow you want to reduce the size of the, of the prospect base, who you're going to mail to, or with the very first step, reduce the size of the prospect base of who you're going to mail to so you can spend more money on fewer people with a higher probability of interest, of willingness to pay attention. So uh, sometimes you could do that just by selection out of a mailing list. Yeah. If you can't, then you need a lead generation strategy that literally makes people ask for the sales letter. Um, and now you can send somebody a real elaborate package uh, and invest in that. Um, more often than not, for years, uh, when I say direct mail, I really mean partially or wholly FedEx. Um, 
So more often than not, uh, at least a couple of times in a campaign, I'm really, we're using FedEx. We're not using mail. Uh, simple reason is it alone will often overcome the gatekeeper, prevent itself from being thrown out without getting a look. It gives you a chance. You have a 100% shot. Um, you don't with anything else, uh, even like priority mail. People will throw it out unopened. It, they will let it lay around for days. They will, but they don't do it with FedEx. Now, by the way, there's also cheap media. So you have nearly 100% with every door direct mail. The consumer is responding to that like they did and do to Valpac. Um, so you have 100, Valpac's the only direct mail other than the IRS mail that has 100% open rate. <laughs> and I'm not even sure the IRS has 100%. But Valpac, literally every homeowner opens it and goes through it because they know there's one or two things in there they want. So they're going to get the pizza coupon, they're going to get the Burger King coupon, whatever. They see everything else. You got 100% shot. And that's a cheap media. Even yeah. if you spend more on it, I mean, I had a client for years, we mailed an eight-page sales letter folded up in the Valpac package. It, like, leaps out because it, like, starts to unfold when the pressure of being put in the Valpac. Thing. So, it, it, it's not that you, you, there's not cheap media you could use. A big, giant postcard, um, which I've used for a lot of clients, like huge. Yep. Yeah, the we, way, used, we the, used that last year for the super conference. Yeah, so. well, the way that gets delivered in a consumer's mailbox, mostly, the mailman folds it like this, puts all the other mail in the middle of it, and shoves it in the mailbox. Well, you got a 100% shot now, right? And that's a lot cheaper than a FedEx. Uh, but I will usually use FedEx for the main sales letter, I will almost always use multimedia, meaning print, audio, and if possible, video. And um, when you see big advertisers who do direct response, which means they count, so brand advertisers don't, and fundamentally they can't, but direct response advertisers actually count, right? So when you, when you see um, financial offers um, on Fox Business, for example, the lead generation for Charles Payne's coaching program yep. is a free book with a free DVD. The lead generation for the Nobelium Brothers, I can't say their names, <laughs> um, um, which is run by the same company, is a free book with a free DVD. In fact, uh, as recently as three months ago, they were running free book only, and their newer commercial has a bonus free DVD. They're aiming at people with right around a half a million dollars of net worth, six-figure income, right? and not ancient. 
<laughs> so don't tell me that no, nobody wants DVDs. You, you can't tell me that yet because those guys count. They know. Sunset or Awnings is not selling to 70-year-olds. They're selling to 30- and 40-year-olds for their house. Free DVD. So don't tell me, right, that nobody wants them and nobody watches them because these people know better. I don't even need to test the proposition. So I will almost always use multimedia delivering the same message. So again, back to what we talked about earlier, how do I build the audio CD? I take the sales letter, right, and I chop it up, and I turn it into an interview. And then, depending on the capability of the voice of the business, for you, I would turn the sales letter copy that answers the question just into bullet points and let you free range with the bullet points. Yep. Somebody of lesser <clears throat> capability, I word for word, here's your script, yep. right? Um, memorize it, if you please, and also have it on a prompter yep. so you can read it. Um, but all I've done is audioed the sales letter, yep. right? Because some people will listen and not read. Some people will read and not listen. Some people will read, then they'll listen. Some people will listen, huh, then they'll read. read. In the consumer environment, if you're making any kind of a decent sized sale, you have both spouses. Well, Mary may read, Bill may only listen, right? Uh, so this is odds. This is how can I give myself the best chance. That's what all this is about, delivering media. How can I give myself my best chance of getting a fair audience for my message? Someone who will give it their attention and consideration. That's what it's all about. Uh, very often it's multi-piece. That's the publisher's clearinghouse theory of direct mail, right? Which is if you have 16 pieces in the envelope, when they open the envelope, they all fall <laughs> all over the damn place. And it's not easy to throw out. And any one of the 16 may catch their attention. Yeah. Right? If you have a really long sales letter, sometimes you'll cut that up into the pieces on the right side of the two-pocket folder, as long as everybody isn't doing that in your category, um, because it doesn't matter what they start with, as long as I can get them interested to now go through the whole process. So your delivery media um, decisions are at least as important as your message decision, because your message is no good Right, if it falls on blind eyes and deaf ears. Yep. Somebody has to give it their consideration, and you have to win that battle. We have a B2B uh, campaign that's in its fifth year. I get a royalty check every month. <laughs> um, so I know it's working. Um, 
and it, it, it's B2B, um, goes through two gatekeepers, both of them pretty empowered. So it is FedEx with a sealed package inside that there's no way to disguise you opened it if you opened it because of a big decal thing that you would slit through when you opened it that marks it confidential to the recipient, right? And then if you open that, there's another sealed thing that you have to deal with. So the gatekeeper has to be willing to toss that and not have that CEO coming out four days later saying, hey, I was supposed to get a FedEx, uh, you know, with a blue sealed bag in it. Have you seen it? See, that question she doesn't want to hear, right? Now, once you do that, you got to justify it inside or the, guy, the CEO is mad, right? Because it's not confidential and it's not, you know, so you con your way in. No, you have to justify it. But that's what the delivery media decisions are all about. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, sneak up versus screaming uh, testimonials uh, on an envelope. So, you know, certainly Craig Simpson and I had a conversation six months ago about some lead generation we're doing in a specific niche. And certainly one of the, the variables is do you put a return address on or you put no return address on it? You have handwriting font versus, and real handwriting font versus, you know, printed. Do you have real stamps versus not? And then do you just have an envelope that's totally covered with your entire message? So you want to touch on that? Yeah, so let me give you both sides of the argument. And let me give you then the smart way to play it. All right? So the late, great Gary Halbert, um, uh, who would be right more often than wrong about this, but you really have to be careful I, I say don't step in the dogma uh, because anybody who does a thing a lot and has a method they're successful with, it's very hard not to become dogmatic about it. Here are the Ten Commandments. Yep. Further, that's what people want. See, they do not want complexity. <laughs> so we, me included, tend to sell one way. Yeah, here's, the th here's how to do it. So the Halbert argument would be if you had to make a sales letter work to cold prospects and you only had one chance, so we kidnap your kid and we hold your kid hostage, and we give you a list, and we let you do a mailing. You can do anything you want, but it has to be mailed, and you gotta get a 2% response rate or better, or we cut off one of the kid's fingers. <laughs> and, then, and then we let you try again, or you usually preface this by asking, <laughs> Do you have kids? And people say yes. And then, well, the one you like. Visualize the one you like. Right? Um, and so we let you try again. And if you fail, we cut another finger off. 
If we run out of fingers, then we just <laughs> finish the job and kill the kid. <laughs> Are you going to send an envelope that screams junk mail and has pictures and coupons and testimonials all over it? Probably not, right? And he will guide you into you're going to try and sneak up, okay? You're not going to let this recipient know until you have a shot at them with the top one-third of the page to get their interest. And you're probably going to do that by stapling a dollar bill. So you're going to arrive at some version of the Gary Halbert dollar bill letter in a complete sneak-up envelope, no company ID, typewritten or handwritten return address, real handwriting done by real old ladies in a room, and real live postage stamps. That's where he's going to get you to. And more often than not, he's right. However, the times that isn't right, um, there's a lot of them. And if you look at controls, in any given year, of all the big mailers, you see more of the billboard approach. So the entire outside of the envelope is used. Yep. And it's from Omaha Steaks, and it says free steaks. Yep. And the deadline is three weeks from now, and, and there's a fake check showing through the window, yep. all that. You will see more billboard mail then you will see sneak-up mail. Now, part of that, Halbert will argue, is because everybody's an idiot, and they, don't, they, and they never split test <laughs> the sneak-up against the billboard. And more often than not, he's right about that, too. However, right, there are controls that are billboards that have been mailed in the millions by people who can count for years. So, to be dogmatic about sneak-up and not test billboard is stupid. Okay? Because ultimately, nobody's opinion matters except the buyer. And, as they say in the investment world, past performance is no guarantee of future results. <laughs> so... There's really only two smart answers to this. One is split test. Two, if you're in an environment where you can't, list is too small, for example, rotate. Do one, count to ten, do the other. Sometimes what you'll discover, which is happy-making, is they both work. Okay. Slight variances, they both work, and they get a different customer. Which is what we talked about earlier today. So I had a client, a go-by-the-edge. We had an infomercial on the air for nine years. Lead generation TV show. Uh, still holds the record. Longest-running, pure lead generation infomercial ever. Probably one of the junkiest, too. So, ugly sales letter, yep. ugly show. Um, I mean, really ugly. 
particularly the first version, we reshot the show because TBS, Turner Broadcasting, wouldn't air it because it was too ugly. So ugly. <laughs> and I mean, when we reshot it, I was paranoid about changing things. So like one of the three testimonials that came on the show, so we, it was like, if you never saw the show, we did Johnny Carson. So the first guest, and then they moved from the chair to the couch, and then the next testimonial, <laughs> and then they moved to the couch. So the second guy, he tapped his foot on the floor because he was nervous. The entire time, he was giving his testimony. Now, the first time we shot, the fake hardwood wasn't tacked down well. So you heard, because the, the floor was coming up and down when he was there. So for TBS, we actually tacked the thing down. But I begged him, tap your foot. I don't care if you're not nervous now. Act nervous, because... I don't want to change what works, right? But so he ran magazine ads too. At that yeah. time, there were still a lot of opportunity magazines. There are only a few now, but there were like 15, 16. Opportunity, home-based business, spare time income. They were all sold on the newsstand, grocery store, Walmart, uh, Barnes & Noble, and they were mass mail. And he actually was there before we did TV. And he ran a picture, what I would call a pictorial ad. You might call it a pretty ad. So it was full color. It had a nice picture of the gold thing that sits on a table that you sell the gold from. And a headline, not much copy, and a coupon to send in for the info kit. Right? And it ran and was profitable in all these magazines. In fact, it's so profitable, right? He said to me one day, I wish there were twice as many of these magazines. And I thought about it, and I said, well, that wish ain't, you know, coming. Uh, the Tooth Fairy is not leaving another 15 magazines uh, in circulation under your pillow tonight. <laughs> However, we could run two ads in, in the same magazines every month, right? So I did an editorial-only ad, right, an advertorial. Yep. No picture, all copy, ugly. Uh, the body copy was 10 point, uh, <laughs> some stuff was 8 point, um, it was all print. And what it was, was the script from the infomercial redone as a sales letter, right? And in all but one of the magazines, uh, the response to the picture one stayed the same or dropped barely a little, and the response to the advertorial one either outpolled it or came in slightly below it. So this was a big win. I mean, big. And you could, so you could be ugly, you could be pretty, you could deliver by different ways, all in the same um, uh, target audience. Yep. And you probably should. That's great. So another thing that, you know, folks can do is a lot of personalization when they get into the sales letters. Certainly, you know, with computers and things like that, you know, all the variable printing and everything else, you know, where is personalization fit in well and look great and perform and where does it, you know, maybe hinder you and look 
you know, forced. So technology has made a lot of this possible, easy and cheap, as it has done with other things. And that has been helpful, but it also creates a lot of misuse, right? Because people's reaction to technology is, oh, somebody invented it, it exists, we got to use it. And then they use it badly, <laughs> right? Personalization, by the way, um, it started with Reader's Digest. They were one of the first to do, dear Mr. Kennedy, dear Dan, dear Daniel, and drop the name in through the letter. Uh, they were doing so much mail, they had so much money, they could afford the very primitive technology that first existed. Uh, the other place it was used earliest was uh, TV ministers. The oldest generation of them, Oral Roberts, Rex Humbard, they all had this equipment. And the equipment was like, like early computers, you know, mainframes. I mean, you had a room to kick this stuff out. Halbert, um, with the original Halbert's business uh, that made him rich and famous, famous because he used it as an example, but rich because it worked, was all about personalization. However, he didn't use any of the technology, right? He just mailed all the spindlers <laughs> at one time. Yeah. So he could say, dear Mr. and Mrs. Spindler, yeah. We've researched the Spindler family. Yep. We have the Spindler family crest, right? And then mailed all the Kennedys all at the same time. It really, for its time, brilliant. Yeah. I mean, brilliant, right? And it's funny. Somebody is using that same strategy now on, of course, Facebook. So I've seen a Spindler-related sign and some other things. There's a mail-order catalog company. It's probably the same guys. So they mail a catalog with like eight or ten items in it, which used to be the Halbert's back end, shirts yep. and beer mugs and stuff. And they mail all the Kennedys, the Kennedy catalog, and they mail all the Spindlers, the Spindler catalog. It's very smart. Um, now the technology is such that doing this is nothing. The problem with it is, is that often it gives itself away. So it actually winds up working against you, right? So, like, if I get Dear Daniel, yep. I know instantly it's junk, right? Because I don't use it, nobody uses it, you know, even my dead grandparents didn't <laughs> use it. So it isn't even a letter from the grave, yep. right? It's somebody trying to sell me insurance. Well, this month in the newsletter, I've got a, a really great example, some smart stuff coming from a plumber that had to come to my house and do some stuff. I mean, really smart. Done, actually, by a member of ours, longtime member. I note it in the, the newsletter. Can't remember his name off the top of my head. But really smart. But the person who entered my information in the computer, I have my last name in the first name spot, so everything has arrived, hello, Spindler, instead of hello, Darren. Yep. So... If you're going to do it, 
you either have to be doing it on such a epic size and scale that those mistakes do not jeopardize your results to the point that you can't do it, right? Or you've got to do it small and you've got to make sure it's right. Okay. So, like, I have a client doing heavy personalization, um, B to B, B to small B, and they are manually scraping each website to verify name, uh, how they describe themselves, to get 10 key items that get integrated into the piece. Now, they're only sending out 50 a week, so this is practical, yeah. right? If you're sending out 5,000 a week, it's probably not practical. The step back from personalization that in many respects can be almost as good is heavy customization, meaning I'm not going to use your name, but back to this morning's discussion, I know a lot about who you are, what your daily life is like, what your mindset is, and so forth. And so from the headline and the greeting on, I can be so customized that it's almost as if it was written to you. And if I can get over the initial hump, that will often be just as effective and it doesn't have as much uh, uh, opportunity for error. So Dan, one of the things that you also teach us um, is to be prolific at this at any level. You need to work for, from some formulas. So, you, you know, the ADA formula, the star story solution, problem, agitate, solve. What, why should we work from these formulas? Well, and which one should we choose? And how does so, that work? So, first of all, you'll discover uh, it, it, the minute you actually do have a sales letter um, that wins, um, you will want to have more. <laughs> you, will, you will start to figure this out, right? <laughs> Um, um, and uh, online today particularly demands a lot of new, yeah. recycled as new, although you can be evergreen there even. It's harder, but you can. Um, the <laughs> a client of mine just sold its company, and we have a uh, a 24-page, it was mailed, 24-page sales letter, has a sales letter online. And it's just sales letter put on a website with thumbtacks. That's all it is. <laughs> it doesn't have any links in it. It doesn't <laughs> saying. It doesn't do shit. I'm sure the new owners it's love it. just a sales letter. Right? It's been up there for eight years. It's evergreen. Right? It works. First thing they did, <laughs> kill it. Why? Because it's old and it's been up there too long. I'm going, 
it brought in the same amount of money last week <laughs> that it did eight years ago this week. It's like, it doesn't matter if it's old, right? <laughs> I mean, they gave, Carl and I watched the Kennedy Center Honors, because our tax dollars pay for them, on, um, on CBS on Sunday night, and Dick Van Dyke was one of the ones who got an award. And Dick's fine. I mean, he's like 90. I mean, I, you know, he's, but he's, he's fine. It's like when Bob Newhart did Big Bang Theory. Did you see Bob Newhart in Big Bang Theory? I mean, Bob is like, you know, 100. <laughs> and, and he's so much better he was so much better than everybody that does Big Bang Theory. He didn't even fight. I mean, the guy's timing is better or his, you know. And, and it probably should be. So who cares if the sales letter's old, right? Yep. I mean, I used to even argue with Zig about this because Zig would tweak two or three things in his speech in every city to tie to the current news. I'm going, Zig, sleep in, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean... At your age, sleep in. <laughs> this thing works, right? You, you don't need... Don't need a new no, speech. No, leave it alone, you know? Uh, but, the, yeah, so they took it down. So you can um, quickly have a need to be prolific because you will want to do more of it, right? If you have a three-step appointment, no sales sequence, it works. If you have a brain you're going to want to do a four-step and see if you could get positive ROI on a four-step. And then you're going to want to do a fifth-step. And then, gee, if appointment no sale works, um, uh, would pre-appointment help? Would, right? And now you've got to create all this stuff. And you've got to be fairly fast at it without being crappy at it. So the way to be fast without crappy is to start with formulas. Never a blank slate. That's like fatal, right? And um, Leonard Stern, TV producer, um, old show McMillan and Wife with Rock Hudson. Um, uh, Leonard was one of the three partners of the company. First job I ever had, only job I ever had, etc. And um, um, Leonard found that I had an ambition to write. And so the gift he gave me, it's on my desk right now. It's a little wood block, a white block. It's about this big. And it's got the schematic of the brain on it. And on the top it says, writer's block. <laughs> right? And he said, you never need to have a writer's block as long as you never try to start without a formula you are going to fill in. Okay. So, particularly for amateurs, but even pros, there's maybe five that are worth study. Yeah, they're the they're the old reliables, right? And uh, certainly attention, interest, desire, action, attention. Um, uh, interest, invalidation of other options, desire, action, some version yep. of that, 
is at old reliable. Halbert's star story solution, an old reliable, right? Um, and uh, now you can take your stuff and you have a way to start organizing it, yeah. right? And um, uh, that buys you speed, right? It's the equivalent of pay by numbers, yep. right? Um, you can, what's his face? The painter guy that, I think he's, the guy everybody's got a, he's the big, on TV. The big all, hair guy? Yeah, 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 the big hair guy. Yeah, he's, Bob Ross. Yeah, Bob Ross. He's, he's, he's made a comeback. He's very popular of late uh, Yeah. I think it's a pandemic-related thing. Yeah, and I think he's dead. And yeah, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's very popular, dead or alive, who knows. But, um uh, but, I mean, he, he gets you to a painting in an hour, right? Because he's got a formula for it, yep. right? It's not, here's a canvas and here's paints and, you know, do something, right? So the formulas are, some, they're in the book. Um, uh, uh, Star Story Solution isn't in there, but the variations of attention, yep. interest, desire, action are. Um, um, uh, 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 problem, agitate problem, uh, solve problem. Yep. It's in the book. I probably use that as my framework more than anything else, right? Yep. What is it that really bugs these people, right? Oh, chiropractors hate being third-class citizens. But dentists, by the way, hate not being MDs. <laughs> Okay. They hate it, okay? because people say behind their back and to their face, they're not doctors. Okay? Mom says, Tony's a doctor. What do your kids do? Tony's a doctor and Bill's a dentist. Okay? <laughs> so this understandably irritates them, which means you can agitate it, right? And you can get them really pissed off about it. <laughs> and then what's the solution? Make five times as much money as the doctor or the lawyer and buy mom a new house that they didn't contribute to and stick it where the sun don't shine. That's the solution, <laughs> right? Now, the implementation of the solution could be a coaching program. It could be a new whiz-bang piece of equipment for the office. It could be how to invest in real estate in five hours a week or less while you run your practice. See, it doesn't matter what the product is. Because right? yep. the product is just a means of the solution. They should want your solution so bad that if you told them, the way you get the solution is every night, you smear yourself with horseshit <laughs> and you sleep in horseshit, right? And they all go, well, okay, because <laughs> I want that bad enough. That's selling. You right? can sell that out at the track, I suppose. Well, no, no. They're <laughs> smarter than most people give them credit for. So uh, what if I have a bricks and mortar business and I want to use a formula it's like Star Story Solution. I'm a restaurant. I'm a sleep, you know, Gardner's Madness. Jeff is here. Like, how do I implement this into my bricks and mortar business? So be very careful of the but my business is different, right? um, attitude, 
because uh, most of the examples of this you will see are not a local brick and mortar business, right? That does not mean the local brick and mortar business can't use it. It just means most people running local brick and mortar businesses aren't as smart as people running major direct response operations, right? But at Gardner's, with a brick and mortar location, there's nothing my pillow's doing that they can't do. And look what my pillow's got. They got a star, they got a story, just like you, I couldn't get a good night's sleep, and I devoted two years to trying everything until I figured it out, right? And invalidate, right? Here's how the other pillows work and why they're yeah. no good, and here's my solution. A $900 pillow um, <laughs> that right now you get for $29.88, okay? <laughs> Well, there's no local mattress store on earth that can't copy that, yeah. right? So you got celebrity chefs. So the restaurant industry, there's no reason the local restaurant can't have the fastest pizza maker on earth who won the contest, yep. okay? The one who won the pizza chef competition. That's why you enter contests, is so you have a story to tell, right? The, um, the celebrity chef, the we only use mama's recipes from the old country, and mama escaped when the communists came in, crawled under the barbed wire with the recipes in her teeth, and now that's what we serve here. Okay? You got a star, you got a story, and you got a solution, right? Yep. You got the greatest Italian food, the best kept secret in Indianapolis, right? So, no, there's no business that can't use this. Now, some business owners are a little uncomfortable with the star part, right? And um, the correct answer to that is get over it, right? Because it works. And you, you gotta decide whether the results you want are more or less important than some of the variables about how you get the results. But, and it, it's not that you have to use it, there are other formulas, but um, you will find that the businesses who have these elements, whether they rely on them entirely or integrate them into uh, their other uh, advertising and marketing, that have these elements tend to be the big winners, even at the local level. Um, uh, people like to get bragging rights from who they do business with. Um, um, they like to think the person's a crusader on their side. Some reason why the person is a star, right? Yep. So, Dan, why don't we talk a little bit about testimonials and how to create great testimonials, not create, but uh, acquire great testimonials. You're doing it, is it best to get them through video, photos? I mean, it's like everything else, right? You can get video, get photo, but what, what makes a great testimonial and what are the ways that we should deploy them? Yeah, so... What makes a great one is more important 
than the deployment media you choose. Because the answer to the deployment media is really everything. It's the, what do they call the energy, it's an all of the above <laughs> answer, right? And if you get a really great one, you damn sure want it, every deployment media there is. What makes a great testimonial, first of all, is that it's legit, <laughs> uh, meaning you earned it. Yeah. Um, um, if they're faked um, or just or ginned up, where somebody is happy and they said nice things about you, and you now script them, uh, you can't actually go to jail, which uh, that's a downside to doing that. Um, um, it's at least something to think about. Um, uh, and they would keep you, okay? You'll get out with no bail if you murder somebody, but if you fake, te of a testimonial, if you fake testimonials, a, you're, fatal, you're fatal doing situation. 20 years. Um, um, the little get rich in real estate guy did 10 years for faking testimonials. Um, Secondly, they don't pass the smell test. Okay? People sense that it's not right. Okay? Um, the second thing that makes a great one is that they have a story to tell. See, it's not just we love X place because fill in blank, right? Um, there's a story, yep. right, about who they are, who I am, yep. and why this is important to me. And you pick people who match reasons why it would be important to a lot of customers. And then it has helped me. All right. So like with arthritis stuff, um, the number one issue with females, with women, is that they can't do the things they want to do that make them feel useful. So they can't cook. Yeah. They can't garden. They can't do crafts. They can't write. With men... It's that they have to ask for help to do something. So the inability to button a shirt or, or put a cufflink in and have to get spouse or somebody to do that for them. Right? That's the issue if you're selling arthritis glop, arthritis device, arthritis surgery, whatever. So now, see, I want testimony. Once I know that, I want testimonials that match it and say it. That's what makes a great testimonial is I was frustrated every day because I had to go ask my wife to help me, you know, tie my shoes and put my shirt together because, and now, since I'm eating this stuff, <laughs> drinking this stuff, smearing this stuff on me, I don't have to do that anymore. That, that's what I want, yep. right? 
The third thing that makes a great testimonial, by the way, the ones that are being used right now for the fruit and vegetable pills yeah. uh, advertised on Fox. Testimonials are great. You should watch them. They're really good. Some are a little better than others, uh, but, and the ones that they shot, not a person in a chair, but the ones that they shot, the guy out getting in and out of his pickup truck, and uh, 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 there was a full day to get that, I'll tell you, because I've done them. Worth every penny. They're really good. So they tell a story, and it matches up with, so like in hearing aids, the three big drivers are um, they don't want to get stuck in a nursing home because their adult children think they're addled when really they just can't hear. Okay? So you don't want your kids to get the idea that it's time to ship you off, you know, like they told you the dog went to live on the farm. <laughs> um, um, uh, secondly, uh, a big issue is that if they're still working at all, school bus driver, part-time teacher, Sunday school teacher, office worker, and the hearing is becoming a problem, and they're not going to be able to do that anymore, big deal. Right? Uh, third big deal is that they won't be trusted alone with the grandkids. And by the way, it ain't that they can't hear the birds in the backyard. The miracle here screws this up. Um, uh, uh, they insist on going back to, you'll be able to hear the birds. The birds. <laughs> Nobody gives a shit about that. They care about this stuff. So now I want these testimonials. See, I want the testimonials who say this. That makes a great testimony. Yep. Dramatic before and after, not for all of them because that strains believability. But a percentage that are dramatic, right, that makes a great testimonial, right? And, um, um, and testimonials that can be affinity matched to your target, right? So by their occupation, by their age, by their avocation, etc. cetera. Uh, high trust occupations are a thing to consider. Uh, women healthcare consumers uh, trust registered nurses more than anybody else. So you want a testimonial if you could get one, if you're selling skincare glop or any health thing, and you can get a testimonial from a registered nurse, you want one. Now, a lot of business owners, by the way, you ask them, they don't even know any of this stuff about their customers. They're just, if they get a testimonial, <laughs> great. <laughs> and they use a the testimonial. They're not, you know. And then you decide, now you move on to your deliverables, right? You're almost certainly going to use them in print, in a sales letter, with a sales letter, in a book, um, and if you're doing multimedia, you're going to want to at least get some of them multimedia. Send a video crew, 
can send somebody with them that knows something about how to shoot a testimonial if you got a really good one. Yep. Fly them in. Interview them by Zoom and record, you know, get it so you can use it uh, multimedia. And again, direct them. So uh, uh, Dr. Oren, again, who you know, some people in here would know, uh, sells a high-end coaching program to dentists. Uh, discovered, not surprisingly, a number of years ago, that often the spouse was a problem with the $30,000-plus <laughs> buying decision. Right? Uh, so he rounded up spouses who said... Uh, the main one that's on the outside of the audio CD and the outside of the DVD, I think, says, um, I told my husband if he didn't tear up that check and get out of that coaching program, he didn't need to come home. And there's a picture on it of a woman, <laughs> you know, packing suitcases. And then she tells her story, which, of course, ends with, how happy she is, right? And there's like six of those. And it's just for the female spouse of the male dentist to listen to, right? So they're directed, purposed testimonials. So Dan, why don't we talk maybe a little bit about um, some use of postcards in businesses because um, many people will you know, should I use them for my main sales letter or should I use them just for lead generation? Where do they fit into the mix? And um, so, how do I use them? So people have a preference for the cheapest things they can do. And not everybody does. And Hardly anybody has this about everything they do. But a lot of people have this about their marketing. That's why they won't mail. Okay? They just won't. Okay? Uh, they see the printing cost, and they see the postage stamp cost, and they say, I'm out. Okay? And so they want to do the cheapest thing they can do. So in some cases... That won't even get you to postcard. You know, there are people dug in because of this who are only going to do TikTok and <laughs> Facebook and email, et cetera, uh, because it is cheap. So there's two problems with this. One is it's the front-end data it's not the significant data, meaning it doesn't matter what we spend. The return on investment is what matters. And so the most expensive thing could be the best bargain if you evaluate some period of results of the customer. So that's first mistake. The second mistake is it risks making you very vulnerable and dependent on one or two 
or three things when the ideal number is 50. Um, so you're very vulnerable to disruption. And um, literally going to bed one night with a business and waking up in the morning with a catastrophe. Happens all the time, right now. Okay? Facebook does it to people, Google does yep. it to people. Right? So far, by the way, of all the media in the world, the least scrutinized and the least screwed with is mail. Now there's delivery issues, I'll grant you, but they are not actually opening your envelope and five postal workers making a decision about whether you should have said that or not. Okay? That, that's not happening. Yep. There aren't five Stanford Gender Studies graduates at Google looking at your sales material and saying, oh, he's, he said mother. You can't use mother. We have to use parental unit. Which, by the way, they're actually saying that. They don't realize that's a joke from the Coneheads on Saturday Night Live. Now they want it to be public policy. I mean, I know Ackroyd's going, you got to be shitting me. We, we, we made that stuff up. What's going on? But so mail, see, they're not doing that to us, right? And that's important. Now, your deliverable media, again, be it a long-form sales letter in an envelope, be it a short letter in an envelope, be it a letter with enclosures in an envelope, be it now a postcard, regular-sized postcard, okay? oblong postcard, big-ass postcard, right? <laughs> telegram. There's still such a thing as a mailgram. It looks like a telegram. Western Union does it through the post office. Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These decisions have to be made based on the value of the response. So we'll loop back to the Halbert test, right? If the response is worth $5,000 to you, are you going to send a postcard that could easily be, oh, this is junk mail, right? No, you're not going to do that, right? At least you're not going to do it without split testing it <laughs> against something else. Now, if a response is worth five bucks, I don't know, you got a Dairy Queen, yeah. right? Even there, the response is worth more than that, even for just the season. But if you add it up to first transaction, right, it's about five bucks, right? Uh, maybe 10 if two people come in together. Well, you're limited now, and postcards are going to be an important part of the game if you're going to do mail at all. The virtue of a postcard, primarily, besides cost, is that you don't have to open it to get the message. But that mandates that message being really friggin' good, right? Or a sneak up as a postcard. So, um, there used to be a campaign, so Zig was, had a coaching business for a few years. 
and done for him. And so like many of them, there was a room of Telesharks who actually sold the coaching program. I say that affectionately, by the way. I don't mean disrespect. Um, uh, on this cartoon at, at home, there's two sharks swimming, and the one shark says to the other, yes, I have a spiritual side, but basically I'm an eating machine. <laughs> um, um, so they had done this elaborate mail, not good, but elaborate, and they weren't getting you know, the response they wanted. So they got Telesharks sitting around doing nothing, which is the problem if you do have Telesharks. Obviously, it irritates you to have them doing nothing, so you got to make the phone ring. Well, it's Zig, and it's his list, right? I said, why don't you just send a letter from Zig and ask people to call? I mean, I don't know that this is any more complicated than that. <laughs> So they actually sent, they tested a postcard against it, by the way. They did test, to their credit. Postcard worked, but it didn't work as good as a letter in an envelope. Handwritten, dear friend, not even personalized, right? I don't remember the exact wording, but it fit on one page, and it didn't say what it was about. You know, so basically, this is from me, Zig, your buddy, and something really important is happening in my life that might be really important in your life, something like that. And I want you to call within the next 72 hours. Okay? And here's the phone number, Zig. Now, two-thirds of people thought they were going to call and talk to Zig, of course. <laughs> and had I been asked for more advice and been getting paid for it, I would have said, you're in Dallas go try and hire a bunch of telemarketers that sound like Zig, right? I mean, it's not that hard, you know, uh, to do that. But they probably would have had ethical issues. Um, we all draw our lines in different places. You know? um, um, but anyway, it made the phone ring. And that's all they needed because they had good, competent telesharks. And they had a good offer, well-matched to the audience, right? But the one in the envelope still outperformed the postcard. People in the Get Rich in Real Estate business, is there anybody in here? And I can't see you because I'm wearing glasses that only, but so is there anybody in It looks in the, like no Get Rich in Real Estate okay. folks here. So the We Buy Houses crowd, they use a lot of postcards. They use a lot of fake check direct mail. I think, is Lucky Larry in Secret Society? Lucky Larry no, is not. You don't have Lucky Larry. Um, so he's one of these guys. Uh, they use a lot of fake check mailings. They use a lot of number 10 envelope stuff. I've not seen anybody use an elaborate package, which I think should be tested. Um, but they can make a postcard work. Postcards work. Um, so, again, you got to think about gatekeeper. You got to think about barrier. You got to now to your house list, to your customers. Who, if you have a good relationship with them, you want them to identify that it's from you, 
because they will give a message from you an audience. And certainly in a sequence, postcards could be really important. I'm kind of jumping to marketing plan, but the, um, like my normal thing for a conference or for a discovery day to sell a franchise or, you know, whatever, will typically be the cheapest lead generation we can do, which can include postcards, to get somebody to raise their hand and request, essentially, the sales letter. Then we'll spend a lot of money on the sale, main sales letter package. Then a series of postcards following up against a deadline is something I'll do a lot. And usually it's the sales letter cut up into pieces, in, into pieces right? So the lowly postcard has its place, um, has does almost every media deliverable. But the last thing about media deliverables to understand is you want to be able to use as many of them as you can use. In other words, the horizontal bar across the top of your chart going into a funnel should have as many things on it as you possibly can do and to deliver a ROI that you can live with that are within a maximum allowable cost. I argue, I argue with the Kairos and Dennis about Valpac I have for 40 years because they have this idiot idea that, oh, it goes to 10,000 homes and we only got two new patients. <laughs> I'm going, it costs you 400 bucks to get two, new, customers. two new patients who are worth $4,000 a base. Okay? Who see, they expected to see 200 people in the parking lot because <laughs> it goes to 10,000 homes. That was not the point. It's $400. That's the point. Now, what's yeah. the realistic expectation that you should get for $400? Yeah, it's right. Really, are you willing to invest $200 to get a customer? And if well, you are and you get two, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful. Don't stop it. I don't care that there's now Facebook. Do Facebook, but don't walk away from that. So you want as many things on your horizontal bar as you can possibly have feeding into your funnel. And when you do follow-up, you want as many things there feeding again. So we have, you know, we have tech now. So the old appointment, no sales sequence now has like PS steps in it, right? If you're still not convinced, you should at least hear Barbara Schwartz's story of how she came back from the dead eating our green slush. <laughs> Go to backfromthedead.com and watch Barbara's seven-minute video, right? Well, we have the ability to do that. So if we taped our testimonials, we have the ability to build that into the appointment no-sale sequence. Right. Dan, so we're going to close here in about 10 minutes, and we're going to finish up with uh, a fitting end because um, we're going to talk about motivating people to action. So certainly you, you, you invest all the time, energy, and effort to writing a, a sales letter, deploying it, mailing it. And if people don't know what to do uh, next, uh, it's a problem. And uh, after we're done with this, we're going to talk a, a little bit about the event in Nashville and the new book. But why don't we uh, chat a little bit about, you know, how do we motivate people to, to action?
So, uh, John Carlton's here, right? John's speaking. John tomorrow. Tomorrow. So John has this description. It's a little outdated because now everybody's got their phone with them. Um, but, uh, but John has this explanation. You should think of your reader or your watcher on TV or, you know, whatever, as this giant somnambulant sloth on the couch. Right? He's there. You know, in his underwear, he's big, he's fat, he's slow, he's got his bag of Cheetos, <laughs> he's got a cooler next to him with his beer in it so he don't have to get up, he's settled in for the night, <laughs> okay? and you are trying to get him to jump up off the couch, fill out the order form, put it in the envelope, Put a stamp on it, take it out and scotch tape it to his steering wheel so he's sure to put it in the mail on the way to work tomorrow and then come back in and resume his somnambulant slothing. <laughs> so you got to have something that good for him to make that happen, right? Because otherwise by morning he talks himself out of it, <laughs> he doesn't remember it, you know, on and on and on. So... The keys you can turn, one is limited, okay? Because the minute somebody thinks you might run out of it, they perversely, their desire for it goes up, okay? Stupid, it, in most cases, it, it, I mean, it's dumb, right? But again, people make decisions for wrong reasons. So their incentive... Uh, they're now, as investments, everybody's going to go to jail, but they're now selling digital artwork <laughs> that you can't take off your computer <laughs> for hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've seen right? it's gone to millions now. Oh, yeah. Well, they're, everybody's in this business. Tom Brady's in the business. <laughs> Major League Baseball's in the business. Um, um, no man ever went broke over estimating the ignorance and stupidity of the American public. Well, there's also uh, a uh, baseball or basketball card uh, fight now, I guess, in the aisles, and uh, Target took their cards off because of oh, okay. people arguing over the Pokemon cards, I believe it was go. last week. But so this digital stuff, right? Well, one of the things that's driving it is they're one of a kind. <laughs> now, there might be 500 Tom Brady doohickeys, but each one is one of a kind. So the limitation, that's why auctions, everybody overpays at auctions. I mean, the worst place to buy a racehorse is at a racehorse auction because people start to bid because other people are bidding and there's only that horse and there's five people bidding on it. And they all bid more and it kind of becomes a my wallet's bigger than your wallet competition. And... All, it all it has nothing to do with the horse, right? Fifteen minutes ago, nobody wanted him, right? He's standing there, one leg up in the air, you know, and fifteen minutes later, fifty grand. And like we would go, I would go with my trainer, and we'll have a cutoff point. We've picked out a horse, right? And a cutoff, which 
my trainer is firm about is $15, let's say. He ain't spending more than $15,000. Pretty soon this thing's being bid at for twenty-five grand, and I'm going, Claire, are you wrong? Should we spend thirty? Because <laughs> they think it's worth twenty-five. I said, but no, they don't. They stopped thinking about what the horse is worth ten minutes ago. Right? So limited, right? You can make the case to people, most will buy this. So essentially, you're an idiot or a slacker or a whatever if you don't, okay? That's what's driving crypto, right? So you can make that case. You can make the ego challenge. You will buy this only if you are really smart, right? Smarter than everybody else. Or if you're really decisive, or if you're et cetera. You will buy this only if you really care about, we have a thing we did in Excellence Orthodontics where we talked to the parent about price. And we essentially say, you will buy this only if you really care. Not about the appearance, but about the self-esteem and the uh, anti-bullying aspect of your teen's life because the teen suicide rate is really high. And we stop short of enunciating the rest of that, but the point <laughs> is made, right? But it's, you know, and we talk about the fact that you probably didn't buy the cheapest furniture for your house. You're not that kind of person. You're probably not driving a Kia because it was the cheapest car you could buy. So, so you will buy only if. You, will, you can buy only if. So you can buy this only if you have $500,000 or more in your portfolio. Have a dental office with five employees or more, et cetera. The appropriateness test, in other words, only some can qualify to buy. And you can stitch all that together. Now, because I think you're not going to ask a full question about it. Here's as good a place as any to quickly talk about, do you write your own copy or do you hire it done? Because um, this is an area where a lot of amateurs uh, drop the ball on the five-yard line. Okay? They get weak and wimpy and or unimaginative about how to present the urgency um, and the appropriateness of you buying and the evils of you not, right? And it's um, uh, like I have a, a long time client who markets uh, expensive training and coaching services to dentists and the headline above the close in one of the sales letters is, if you say no to this, you may die broken alone. <laughs> His staff pitched a fit, right? Uh, but split tested, it works, right? But probably no amateur is ever gonna write that headline, 
for that sales letter to that profession. So the decision about pros, a John Carlton, you're going to hear Russell at the dinner break. I believe the annoying little Indian is sponsoring dinner. <laughs> and um, um, so you're all getting a small portion. Um, um, well, to him, it looks big. You know, it's like, really? They're going to eat all that? Wow. <laughs> he left um, his seat. He cannot even hear to take the abuse. Um, uh, but uh, uh, Russell's going to be speaking. Yeah. So a copywriter like Russell or John Carlton, et cetera, it's about the size and scope of what it is that you are doing. If you are doing something of sufficient size and scope that the investment makes sense, unless you've done a lot of this, your mission, at least your mission-critical stuff, you might want to pro and in part because of this part. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean they got to do the whole campaign. So for many years, if you've been around for a long time, well, there the little guy is. It's hard to tell <laughs> when he's here, not here, you know. Um, um, you missed all the fun. You know, you bug the shit out of me to talk about you, and then you're not here when, you know, when I talk about you. He, he was in the uh, back hiding behind one of the tables. Uh, uh, you don't have to hide behind anything. He just has to stand there. Nobody's, you know? I mean, um, I got in trouble for this recently, by the way. Not about him, but, um, but anyway. Um, the, for many years, if you've been around us a while, um, for all our conferences during the GKIC years and our product rollouts, for the most part, I wrote the main sales letter. Then Bill wrote most of the second-tier stuff around it. So the follow-up series of letters and postcards, uh, if there was going to be another package, was all derivative of the main. the main sales letter. The emails, mostly, he had somebody on staff do them because they were derivative of the derivative from the main. You don't need a John Carlton to do that. Yeah. Right? But you might need them for the mission-critical piece. You've been listening to one of our gold members only podcasts. Make sure you upgrade and become a diamond member and get access to the diamond members only podcast as well. On top of that, you'll also get access to the whole enchilada with all dance courses and so much more. So make sure you upgrade to diamond now by going to diamondupgrade.com.